Welcome to Media Week Movies. This is a new podcast we're doing. Welcoming back Andrew McCarter, a regular contributor to Media Week, who talks TV. Now, Andrew's a recent um, cinema owner. Yeah. And so he's had a very good ang- handle on the uh, movie business in 2019. Also joining us, Trent Thomas, who's Media Week's movie man. Trent, welcome. Thank you, James. It's good to finally get on one of these. <laughs> been badgering me for a little while about um, let's do a movie podcast. So here it is. Uh, We're going to get into it today. I thought a good place to start might be um, the box office hits of 2019. Um, And Andrew, you can sort of tell us from a cinema owner's point of view, do they all seem sort of pretty obvious ones? I mean, what what was the biggest hit of the year, Trent? Uh, Money-wise, I think you... It's easy to guess. It was Avengers, third highest grossing movie in Australian box office history. Um, 84 million. Yeah, cleared the field by a good 20 million. Number two was Lion King, which I think surprised people because Star Wars was a fair bit off the mark of those two. Lion King was a surprise. I remember at the start of 2019 trying to figure out which one of those three Disney live-action films would fail. You had Dumbo, Aladdin and The Lion King all being released really close to each other and it was like common sense tells you that that there won't be three massive hits there. You generally go with the saddest one or probably the one that bombs. And I think <laughs> no one wanted to go and cry for two hours at Dumbo. Yeah. The trailer made me cry, so I was like, I'm not going to sit through two hours of that. But Lion King and Aladdin went much more with a upbeat mark and they both did really well. Aladdin also had a fantastic... Aladdin was huge, big, big, yeah. big hit. Was Aladdin came seven in the whole year, so mm. compared... And Lion King was two, so it was a really so good year. It wasn't really a flop, though, was it? 36 million, so I suppose it did reasonably well. Yeah. Um, was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on the in the top ten? No, shame. It would uh, from memory. It missed out by about four million. Oh, right. But it got uh, Aquaman, which came tenth. Only had half of its run in that year. So um, if you were counting films that uh, had longer, kept, that were like in that December period, Aquaman still made this year, and I think it made last year as well. It did split its forty million pretty evenly. Um, you had similar cases with Frozen. And Star Wars. So we got both numbers for that today. Yeah, we really need two lists when you look at this, don't you? You need the the all-time list Yeah. Um, for like uh, over the last 18 months, two years, to see what did well. Then you have the just 12 months to, to strictly which films, how much they took in that year. So Avengers Endgame. Now, I know nothing about um, superhero, Marvel, all this sort of stuff. So for people who don't, is that a... Is that a pretty safe bet? And how many Avengers movies have there been? There's been four. This one's kind of part two. So really it was about a six-hour movie yeah. split into two parts and uh, part two made a lot more money than part one, which everyone wanted. It's been a conclusion of a 10-year story. They haven't announced any more movies. Their phase four slate is relatively uh, more minor characters. I wouldn't say minor, but lesser known, less mainstream. They've retired... I won't give spoilers, it's been almost a year, but <laughs> they've, re- they've retired some really like prominent characters that yeah. they haven't seemed to have any interest in rebooting or uh, recasting. So it seems like they're going to try to forge ahead with smaller characters. So who sm- are the characters in Avengers Endgame? Um, the, what are the big... You've got your Captain Americas, your Iron Mans, your Spider-Mans, which that was a whole drama this year. So Marvel lost Spider-Man, then got it back. So that'll be part of their 
their post-Avengers slate moving forward. You and they Thor. deliberately took him back to being a schoolboy to give them some more leeway. Then they yeah, lost all that they? leeway. Yeah, and then but then they got it back. But it's only one more film, and then one more like collaboration piece. So that could be Avengers. But the rumor is he's going to be in the new Fantastic Four because obviously. Disney got all those Fox properties and with uh, losing uh, two or three of their main Marvel properties or retiring them, they're obviously looking at Fox to be the next set of uh, slates that they can kind of draw some content from for these Marvel movies. So do the people who play those superheroes in a film like this that has a number of them, do they play those characters in the standalone movies as well? Yeah. Yeah, so you got like Tom Holland where his contract split up into uh, like side appearances as a supporting actor and as a main, so they can cut off so many. Robert Downey Jr. had a similar contract because he was just appearing in other people's movies for the last five (laughs) years. Like when they need a boost, like he appeared in the first Spider-Man to boost sales, he appeared in Captain America Civil War, which was essentially Avengers Light. Um, And they do a similar thing with these actors, especially if they're trying to uh, even boost another one sales or reignite uh, characters' interests, like the Hulk being in Thor Ragnarok. And then you get to the point where Gwyneth Paltrow can't even remember being in one of those yeah. films. <laughs> oh, was I in that, she says? Yeah, yeah. She couldn't even remember. They film, well, she said, we film all our parts at the same time and then they use them in like three different movies, so it's hard oh. to keep uh, track. But uh, I think I think uh, she's been in about four or five. I don't know how many she actually remembers. So it must be a massive payday for some of these actors like Robert Downey Jr., well, years ago, you would never have thought of him as a superhero character, right? No. But then now he, he makes these little cameos and you say they, they probably fill them all in one bit, but I bet they get paid as, as separate deals for, for each movie. Uh, he's getting into. part of the back um, end, isn't yeah, he? I'm sure their agents know how many films they've appeared in. I'm sure the money people are very aware. Um, yeah, and he's just, he's getting back, he was clearing like 30, 50 million, like you're looking at astronomical numbers for what Robert Downey Jr. cleared. Um and he started his post-Avengers career with Doolittle, which yeah, is going to be up and Yeah, and that didn't go so great, did it? <laughs> no, well, it did okay in the box office. It hasn't been number one in Australia, but it's floated or plifered around. It's been a bit hard for any of the new releases to get any airtime this year because uh, Jumanji was the surprise hit, kind of almost, it may go very close to making the same as Star Wars, so... It's it's it feels like it's been a bit of a lacklustre summer. It feels to me that a lot of the films that they put out there are underperformed. Even the last Star Wars yeah. film, I know it's made a lot of money, but it has underperformed compared to the others. When yeah. you think that this is the last ever movie bringing forty years of storytelling to an end, and you- yeah, you thought they were going to beat, well, at least give Avengers a run for its money at the start of the year. You would have bet the cat, the cow, the sheep, all of it on Avengers 1, uh, Star Wars 2 and flip a coin and what's one and two out of that. And then uh, the reviews didn't help it. I, I, didn't, I liked the movie, but the reviewers savaged it before its weekend release and I think we saw it needed a really big weekend like Avengers had because Avengers had a huge weekend and it was out of the top five in five weeks at a 50% decline yeah. each week. And so those big budget movies tend to not last very long, whereas the Joker, because of... It went off word of mouth. It lasted like nine, ten weeks. And do you know that was that is one of the worst things about having to play those blockbusters in small independent cinemas? You know, in a small town, everyone comes to see that film opening weekend. Everything's great. But you've got to book it, have it for so many weeks 
as if you were sitting in the city in a multiplex. So you end up with a movie like Avengers going for three hours and you're having to play it twice a day and by the time you get to week four or whatever it is you contract, it's dead in the water really and the only people that actually can't, the only way you actually make any money is if the movie's good enough and people want to see it again. And people did come back to see Avengers Endgame again but I'm not getting that sense with Star Wars that people are going, this is a film we have to see a hundred times well, on the big screen. Using my metric, I saw Avengers three times, I saw Star Wars twice. So it was one it was one rewatch less for me and I tend to rewatch movies. Uh I thought Star Wars was really fun. It just Avengers did such a good job and had such good reviews on top of all the build up as well. It was really able to get those people in obviously because making eighty million and it's only been done more twice. Only two films have done better. And one of and uh, Star Wars, which is the, the first one, and uh, Avatar, which was a surprise hit. When you retroactively look yeah, back, yeah, at yeah. all the factors that must have gone into that movie making that number, eighty million still eighty million plus is still a massive yeah, uh, gain. Yeah. And but he said like those small is, releases like that aren't made for the small theaters. It's like made like like where I went, where we had ten cinemas, eight of them were showing Avengers. Oh no. It, and it, always, it worries me when movies underperform. You know, cinemas do it really tough now, In some of them in the age of Netflix. And when you hear that a Star Wars film, which you think is a sure bet, is underperforming, and, you know, when you have real box office bombs like Cats um, that, you know, and Doolittle not coming anywhere close to what it should be, you just go, how are you guys still getting this so wrong? The only upside of the bombs I noticed was uh, Jojo Rabbit was really hard to watch its first two weeks of release. Cats bombs, Jojo Rabbit's was doing really well per cinema. All of a sudden Jojo Rabbit's is in the suburban cinemas and Cats has uh, skidded across the tin roof. So they benefited really from the, um, the Cats yeah, so they picked up a lot of the Fire. sessions that they, yeah. that wouldn't have been available to them if Cats had done well because no one was planning, no one was seeming to plan a large-scale release for Jojo Rabbit, but as you can see from the Academy Awards and the money that it made, it did pretty well for a film of that ilk. The Star Wars franchise over the years has held up pretty well, though, hasn't it, considering? I mean, the, the whole superhero phenomena as a... As a big, shiny, loud movie, wasn't really around, was it, when Star Wars launched? Or was it? No, it wasn't. I mean, in the 70s you had Jaws, which became the first summer blockbuster because before they used to release films simultaneously, they released them in LA and New York and then moved them across the capital cities. Jaws sort of came in, um, released in a whole bunch of cinemas simultaneously, changed, and two years later the, or you get Star Wars coming along and, and those two films really create the modern summer blockbuster and uh, change the entire industry. And Star Wars didn't really have repeating stars all the way through, did it? I mean, they've, they've got different generations, um, there's reveals along the way, but um, it didn't really push the big, big characters like that to me seemed to dominate those superhero movies. Well, it also came before the capitalist machine, like Disney <laughs> really mows them out. George Lucas moved at a very deliberate pace when he was putting together these and the gap between them and like uh, Star Wars is that classic core group where I think they've tried to go back with in this trilogy where it's like you've got your your lead, your cool rogue and then your female lead and then a 
a giant monster that's adorable that people like. That's the formula that a lot of places use, and Star Wars kind of either adapted it very well or borderline invented that kind of core group. And then you you look at uh, that. Then they went more individual in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and then Star Wars, uh, Avengers and Star Wars have tried to bring it back to kind of we're going to do a group. And, you know, Disney made a a terrible tactical error with Star Wars. One of the reasons that Aquaman made so much money was because there was no Star Wars movie that year. Aquaman stepped into this void without a Star Wars film and the Star Wars film that should have come out that December was Solo, the Han Solo spin-off standalone movie, which they inexplicably released in May. They put it in the Avengers slot because there was no Avengers that year. They moved their Star Wars movie... Back and it, to May or April, around the time they normally release their Marvel. And that yeah. underperformed, oh, my Lord. Yeah, and then that that left the gate open for Warner Brothers to get one of the rare non-Disney slots in the top five, <laughs> top ten. Yeah. There was only two non-Disney movies that made the top ten this year. But I think everyone was expecting when you saw their slate where they had another Toy Story, they had three or four Marvel films, they had three or four live-action films like... It was always going to be hard. Frozen 2, it was always going to be hard to yeah. top that Disney slate. Where does the Joker sit? It's at number five in the box yeah, office, number five. 40 million. But where does that sit in terms of a superhero movie? Is it? It's not, well, it, it's, it's not, but it, it is. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's part of the mythology, but it feels very much like a standalone movie. But, yeah, the references to Bruce Wayne and his parents are all in there. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't operate outside of the Batman universe. It so acknowledges. Fans of the genre would be happy with that part of it. Is, is that why it did well? It, it crosses over, if you like. It, it gets the, the people who just like straight superhero action, but then it gets people who might be into that but like a bit more quirkiness. And the- Well, what I'd like Trent to explain to me now, because one of the things that I deliberately did not do when the Joker got released was there was a lot of negative... Uh, criticism about the film and the mental illness theme. And uh, I know a lot of female uh, females on Twitter hate the movie and get very, very upset about it. And I never, ever read why they hated the film because I didn't want plot spoilers. Then I saw the film and went, it's incredible. It's one of the best films of the year. And I'm too scared to ask. I'm not going to ask on social media. What is it that they hate um, about the film, Trent? I wasn't too up to that. Like, I read it, but I was like, I want to see the movie. So I kind of had it in the back of my mind a little bit. I think part of it was it's just its portrayal of mental health or um, maybe as a good thing or as a something that's... I know people, it's always a very sensitive area this now, portraying mental health. And he evidently had very severe mental health problems in the film. But I think it's also important to tell stories with those narrative devices. But it's always, those things are always going to be quite... Divisive of people, but I I noticed the it seemed to die down. Like there was a, I think a lot of it came out with the trailer. Well, they're also upset, but they're upset now that it's being nominated for Oscars. I'm still seeing it on social media now. Oh my god! If Joker wins an Academy Award, I'm never going to go to the movies again. There's still an anger out there about it. And you talk about who goes to see films. Joker, to me, was bringing in a crowd that don't go to comic book movies. People were mm-hmm. going to see Joker because it was a a serious, you know, film that had good reviews. People were talking about it. And, and you know, I know a lot of people I know thought it was an incredible depiction of mental yeah. illness. It was a brilliantly made film. And, like, I know a lot of people with mental illness. And I asked them and they 
didn't have a problem. They actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like people I know they've had mental health problems actually enjoyed Joker more than yeah. the average person. Everyone's going to interpret uh, content and respond in a different way. I'm, like, I'm on the fence where I thought it was just a really well-made film and they did a good job of uh, bringing in uh, people that just wanted to see in a well-made film rather than a superhero film. If anything, I felt like they went too far away from the superhero genre as a fan, as a big fan of that genre and a collector of the comic books and someone that knows the character, I felt they went too far away. Yeah. Because my comment to my friend is, how is that person meant to go from what we saw to fighting Batman? Because I felt like it, it was just kind of a person's descent into madness mm. or... Uh, like it felt like it was almost a chapter from The Shining a lot of the time. Like it was very much uh, about his mental state, but it was at the end of it, it was like, well, the, what the character ends up being and what we saw was a very big gap in uh, where they're at. But I think it was made in a kind of a well, silo. Although Heath Ledger, the the sociopathic Joker that Heath Ledger portrays, wasn't. Too far. I didn't think from that Joaquin Phoenix final shot. Similar in performance and they made some hints that it was the same Joker, which I appreciate, but it was more like intelligence or skill level. Like Heath Ledger's Joker could go toe-to-toe in strategy, whereas this Joker seemed to struggle to deal with day-to-day life, which made the character more relatable and sympathetic and made the film better. But then it was like the actual, when you think about how this Joker would handle Batman, that was the difference between Heath Ledger, who was my favourite Joker, and this one, but they did a great job as a standalone film. And they're talking about potentially doing a second, even though wow. before that they said they wouldn't. But yeah, Jock- yeah. Jocelyn Phoenix realizes he's on a bit of a cash cow and he's kind of pushing to do another one. He's going to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. You think? Yeah, he's the best actor of the year. There's no question in it in my mind. And Netflix generally struggles at these awards. They've got a lot of the nominations with Marriage Story and The Irishman. And they generally struggle. Tellingly, the Irishman didn't win one single Golden Globe Award. No. Not one. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting, this whole Netflix and the movies they make. Who would go watch the Irishman in cinemas three and a half hours long? You just go. Well, if, some people must. Some did, people did. Did it have a cinema release in Australia or only the <sighs> US? You'd have to, I think Mercado's more the expert on it they, they They do have one. In America, they've now bought a cinema in New York. They have a Netflix cinema. They put the movies in there. They Traditionally, they're releasing them, I think it's a month beforehand, whereas the window is three months. Here in Australia, a lot of cinema owners refused to play the film because Netflix wanted them to change the rules to one month. And the cinema owners in Australia said, we're not doing that. It's three months or nothing. If you're not going to give us a three-month window, we're not putting that movie in cinemas. And The Irishman played at very few cinemas because of that. And like you said, it's such a long film. It ties up the screens even longer. And not many people would go to one in such a long film and it's very dramatic. It's not a a mainstream gangster, like Gangster Squad. It's not like we're going to make a pop gangster movie for people to go to. It was a very much... So in that respect, The Irishman is actually the perfect film to watch at home on your couch on Netflix. Although I, I have to say to myself, uh, you know, Marty Scorsese, why don't you just make a TV series? Well, it's basically a mini-series. You just yeah. need to pick when you're going to have your... Have your tea and biscuit break in between. We won't think any less of him if he says he's making a TV series next time. Now, am I a bit crazy? I liked what Marty Scorsese said about superhero movies. So did I. Didn't think it was really movie-making or whatever. But then again, he goes and uses these special effects in The Irishman, which sort of worried me a little bit about ageing 
the actors with special effects. Just seemed to be a little bit of clash. He was saying one thing and maybe doing another, or oh, but doesn't it matter? You're talking about two. Yeah, you're talking about special effects. I think for two completely different things. Aging is very different to a show, a movie that is dominated by CGI special effects, like a Marvel comic book movie. You know, but they didn't use makeup. There wasn't. Weren't they using like? Oh no, they were. It was more than makeup they were doing. Well, there was. Camera. Oh no! I think they were doing some makeup? sort of face recognition yeah. CGI so to make. Worried. I don't mind people doing it with makeup, but when you're doing that, it just seems a step maybe too far for me. I'm like too old. Well, we're in a new era of cinema, James. <laughs> what, what, one movie that didn't do too well was Gemini Man. That was the first film to have a completely uh, CGI created character. The other Will Smith didn't exist. They didn't, <laughs> they were they decided it was easier to just recreate a whole nother Will Smith than to have him do both roles and de-age him. So we're at the stage where they're not even using ac- actors all the time. He act- Will Smith acted with a computer. So um, hopefully we don't get to the stage where they're doing that, but I think uh, de-aging with the uh, CGI and that's become really commonplace. Disney started it when they made Robert Downey Jr. look like it was pre-Bender, pre-Rehab, Robert Downey Jr. for Iron Man 3, oh, Captain America yeah. 3. I think yeah. you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. And he looked mm. like he did in um, Heart and Soul and all his <laughs> early um, yeah. his rom-coms that he was in. And they also did the same thing with Michael Douglas. So I think the, the bar's been okay. set where they make it, it looks almost real. So I think mm. it's kind of going to replace makeup when it comes to the, the de-aging, even for directors like Scorsese. All righty, so just back to this list now. The number one Australian movie, of course, didn't make the top 10. The bottom film in the top 10 did 24 million. The number one Australian movie just did, well, I didn't say just, but it was a quite respectable 11.7 million, was our Ride Like a Girl. Yeah. Something I did finally see over the summer, and I've got to tell you, I was surprised. Wow. It's a, it was a good film. It's a pretty Rachel, good movie. Rachel Griffiths did a good job. Yes, yeah, she really did. Directorial debate. Uh, debut. <laughs> that was a crowd pleaser. You know, that was something where the grandkids were coming with their mum and dad and the grandparents and everyone walked out of the theatre loving that film. Yeah, yeah, no, it was just well made. Just, just yeah, had a lot of lot of warmth. It was interesting. It wasn't too gawny. It was no. Just, and Teresa Palmer did a good job as well. Yeah. She was really coming into her own as an yeah. actress. Sam Neill as the dad. It was, yeah. it was well cast. Yeah, no, it was good stuff. But there's not a lot of Aussie movies that can... Get that mix right, is there? No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, true History of the Cali Gang is one of these movies that's gone to a streaming platform, if you like. In this case, was particularly made for a cinema release, I believe. Have you seen Cali Gang yet, Trent? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, some of my vast slate of things I need to <laughs> get through for work. Um, we've seen a. We went to that stand event. We saw a pretty extended uh, trailer. And I think the first thing that came to mind is it's a film that's very visual. Very, very visual. Mm. And uh, the cast they got in that is amazing as well. So they got a lot of those elements. Um, it, but obviously it's going to be affected by the stand deal that they have where we're not going to know the exact box office or traditional sure. box office numbers. Now you've watched, you're the only one great, of us that have seen it. Great cast, uh, Essie Davis and Russell Crowe and Nicholas Holt and Charlie Hunnam and Sean Keenan. Uh, amazing cast, uh, but it's all style and just 
what the F is going on with <laughs> the depiction of Ned and his Kelly gang. It's very odd. Can you explain, we had this confusion about, they said none of this is true or there's a lot of reference. So is, is the story based on facts or is it just a fictionalised? The story is loosely based on facts and then they just make up a whole bunch of stuff. And also the settings for it uh, are also hugely stylized as well. So there's brothels in huge Victorian mansions and you're going and the police are in there running around naked and hanging out with Ned Kelly and the gang and you're going as if, yeah. <laughs> you know? It sounds Tarantino-esque where he kind was of takes Peter, history yeah. and then uh, runs off with it. Well, was no, it? Tarantino's very specific about, uh, you know, he follows the truth up to a point and then he takes a left turn and he rewrites history. This movie starts with the rewrites from the opening scene. Hmm. Well, based on a Peter Carey book as the, was the source material, I think. Loosely based, yeah. I would say. <laughs> yeah, which was a pretty... Out there book too, I yeah. believe. Um, I, I remember at the uh, movie convention like three years ago when the director came out on stage and his one-line spiel for it was, uh, it's Ned Kelly as a punk rock band. And I remember then thinking, <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm not booking that film in my cinemas. That mm. film's making no money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see with the, oh, I've got a feeling it's uh, box office receipts probably wouldn't have been that brilliant. Well, there's been no PR from Stan at all about how any of their shows have gone over the summer break. There's usually a bit of a buzz around about, you know, so we might find out when um, Nine, which is now 100% owner of Stan, does their financials later in February, there'll be some commentary about Stan's summer, so we might get some indication then yeah. of how well um, that has done. Look, before we wrap up this, uh, our first movie podcast, what are, what are some of the things coming up for, for 2020? What are the, what are the first few things that will go to, um, hit the screens that we could expect on the, the top 10 list perhaps for 2020? Yeah, well, like we said, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. I think we're going to have a much more surprising top 10 this year than we did last year. Cause Disney just was like, we're going to release four or five massive franchises and you guys can deal with it. Um, <laughs> this time around, uh, di- like uh, Marvel's got Black Widow, which is uh, one of their first female, be- after Captain Marvel, female bent films. But then and they've got really minor ones, like, well, not minor, but like I said, ones like not well known in Eternals and The New Mutants. The New Mutants? Yes, yeah, f- uh, starring Macy Williams from Game of Thrones this is her kind of breakout. Oh. A lot of people will be going to see her, I think, because they, they loved her character in Game of Thrones. They did. Yeah, so they'll be, and she got such a good push at the end of that season, like she was probably looking the best out of everyone. So yeah. they'll be hoping that that will kind of take off. Ironically that uh, this is in the X-Men franchise and Sophie Turner has been leading up the uh, X-Men on the on the other slate of X-Men movies. So it's got a very Game of Thrones feel lately, uh, X-Men. Um, DC has a very female-orientated as well approach to this year. They've got Birds of Prey, which is coming out very soon, um, with Margot Robbie in it. So there's always a good chance that's going to be top ten. If you use Aquaman as a example, weak slate, not much has come out. Uh, female uh, Australian actress in it. It's a good chance that that'll go top ten, depending on how the quality of the film. If it's at least a half-decent film, it should do pretty well. Um, then they got Wonder Woman 1984 coming out. Now, that out. looks really good. I'm excited about that. Wonder Woman 1984, actually, isn't it called? Yeah. It looks good. Mm. Yeah, so that will be um, 
that did really well. Uh, the first one did really well, so you'd be thinking it would recreate that success and also be a, a top ten. Uh, some of the, I think, early favourite for the top film of the year will be James Bond, No Time to Die. I think it's got Billy Billy Eilish doing the theme song, the last Daniel Craig movie. Every second Dan, uh, Daniel Craig James Bond movie is amazing, so we're due a good one. I think it'll. It's got all the elements. It's got no like top tier Marvel. The Avatar Star Wars uh, alternate doesn't start till next year, so it's a really good opportunity for someone to uh, grab the top film of the year this year because so the not uh, many bond, big the brands. Bond, yeah, the Bond trailer just came out this week, I think, or the latest one. Anyway, I'm not. It's probably the, is it the first trailer. I think it is, isn't it? Uh, but I anyway, think, yeah. And Ramri Malek's the villain. It's got all the elements. Oh, wow. yeah. Um, yeah. It's got all the elements to top the year with a fairly weak uh, cast. Like, there's some interesting films, just none of them scream massive hit. You've got the third Ghostbusters, like a, a finally a sequel to the Bill Murray uh, years, and I've got Paul Rudd. And they, well, they've only want to see a sequel to that. I know, they've gone very Stranger Things with it. It looks good. They've gone with like a young, like a teenage Ghostbusters with Paul Rudd as their science teacher. I think they've got the elements there. Top Guns coming back, yeah. So that's got well, that probably won't be top ten, but it'll I reckon, it'll be interesting. There'll be interest, yeah. There'll be interest. I think uh, Tom Cruise generally does okay in Australia. It's not China for him; like he obviously does much better in the Asian markets. But he'll do pretty well. Uh, Sony's got a Morbius, which is another Spider-Man spin-off, similar to Venom. Venom did quite well last time. Morbius doesn't have the name appeal that it has. It's got Jared Leto going. This is his first superhero film since he played the Joker. He'll be playing the vampire Morbius, so that will be a, an interesting one. G.I. Joe's got a spin-off of Snake Eyes coming out near the end of the year. Uh, Chris Nolan has a new film coming out this year, Tenet, so he always generally does really well. Um, and Milan's coming out as well, so you think there's not as many Disney live-action films this year, so that might pick up some of the extra money from not having as much competition because Lion King made $60 million That's because they're making some of their live action nows for their Disney site, right? Yeah, they're yes. doing Lady and the Tramp and I saw something else the other day and went, oh, yeah, Bambi, I think. Did they say they're going to do a live action Bambi for Disney That streaming? sounds right, but I can't, yeah. can't guarantee it. They're going to run out of things soon. What are they going to do when they run you out might, of all their cartoons? It's a pretty big catalogue. They'd have to. Um... <laughs> uh, and then... Toy, I don't think anything's going to pass Toy Story, which made forty million animation wise. But Pixar's got Onward with Marvel stars Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, so that'll be a pr there's pretty strong elements. Pixar and those two names. Are we getting a new Jurassic w movie this year? Not, not based on my list. I've been looking Damn. at release slates, and we haven't That's got the one I'm waiting for. Yeah, so that that would today this would have been a great year to release that because like it's not a heap of big name competition. The James Bonds is the, is the only like tried and true franchise. Wonder Woman would probably be uh, second in that horror movie wise. Uh, Quiet Place Part Two is probably the favorite to uh, clean that up. But there's also a new Halloween, and that did quite well when uh, last in 2018. So horror movie wise, those are probably the favorites. But yeah, some of blockbusters. We've got Ghostbusters, James Bond, Wonder Woman are probably your three main talking points. All right, Trent. Trent Thomas, uh, thank you, mate. Look, great to have you on a Media Week podcast, one of, one of many, I'm sure. Andrew Mercado, always good to talk to you, whether it's movies, TV. Uh, we love your enthusiasm. Just quickly on James Bond, there's, there's always, you know, that 
the speculation about the next Bond sort of ebbs and flows uh, depending on, you know, the cycle of Bond movies. It's peaked again recently. I see James Norton is the is the latest one who's getting a lot of press about Bond. Wow, um, okay. And I think he'd be a good choice. Too. Yeah. I'm going to make the call that we haven't heard the the person that's going to end up being James Bond hasn't been rumoured yet. Okay. I, reckon, I reckon it'll be a name that no one's expecting. Like every few months one name's like they've definitely got it and then it drifts off again. So we'll see. But it'll be interesting what, who they finally name. Absolutely. All righty. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.